Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. The scripture reading today is from Exodus uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, and chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out into the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, 
or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, please be with Pastor Joel today as he preaches your word to us. Open our hearts to your message and your word and Pastor Joel's teaching and help us receive and learn from that today. Amen. Thank you so much. That was not an easy uh, ask, and so I appreciate uh, you doing that and leading us through Scripture. Uh, In uh, the Star Trek series, uh, there is a civilian space freighter by the name of Kobayashi Maru. And uh, there is uh, this exercise in the Starfleet Academy where officers would be given a situation where the Kobayashi Maru, uh, it, it becomes disabled, and the ship isn't functioning, and it wanders into the Klingon neutral zone. And so that Starfleet officer is pressed into making a decision. Do I go into the Klingon neutral zone to try to rescue all the crew who are going to perish if I don't act? Do I go into the zone and rescue them, but put ourselves at war potentially with the Klingons? Or do I stand on the edge and wait, but the result of that is that people perish? And in the J.J. Abrams version of the Star Trek movies, uh, he uh, writes in uh, effectively a third response to just cheat, uh, to rewrite the code on the computer simulation so that uh, you can go and rescue the people and survive. But the design of this exercise and how the name Kobayashi Maru has stuck around is it has become the epitome, or at least a Star Trek example, of a no-win situation. If you take an intro to philosophy class, it's just like the trolley problem. Or if you've just lived a little bit of life, then you quickly recognize that there are oftentimes situations you are put in where it feels like there is no good route out. I am only left with bad options. And so the Kobayashi Maru was designed and life has this effect of revealing our character and telling us something about ourselves in those moments when we're confronted with a situation that we just can't possibly win. There is no easy way to use our resources or our giftedness or uh, who our connections, family are, or any of those things to get ourselves out of it. 
And so when we find ourselves facing situations, we're left with the question of how do I respond? What is my character? And in the Old Testament, there is no Kobayashi Maru, and there's no trolley problem, but there are the Ten Commandments. And so I would start this morning just by asking you, when you hear that phrase, the Ten Commandments, how do you respond? How do you move forward in light of the Ten Commandments that Lottie read just a short time ago? It's an important question because I think it reveals some about who we are and what we actually believe, but also how we approach God. And uh, in the past few weeks, we have been going through a series on covenants. And covenant, I hope that that word doesn't throw you off. It is basically God's way of relating to his people. How does God, the almighty, all-powerful, good and gracious God, relate to his people, to part of his creation? And here at Mosaic, we think the Old Testament and New Testament, the biblical answer for that is covenants. And so as we go through covenants, part of it is seeing how God initiates his covenants. And we looked at that together in Genesis 15. Then part of it is seeing how God works in full covenant communities. Uh, pushing against maybe some of the individualism that we may struggle with. We talked about that last week from Exodus 3. And this morning we arrived to Exodus 19 and 20 and to the Ten Commandments, which presses in what God uh, asks of his people in the context of his covenants. You see, in the ancient Near Eastern world and today, uh, covenants uh, come not only at God's initiation, and covenants include whole communities of people, diverse communities, global communities, communities that cut across generations and even centuries and millennia, but it also comes with a set of commands. So it brings us back to that question of how do we respond? How do we do business with God's commands? And my hope for you in leaving is this morning you will see a possible response to God's commands in light of God's covenant promises. And so we'll look at that together in three points, the context of his commands, the contour of his commands, and the completion of his commands. So first, the context. We didn't want to just add on to the scripture reading. Uh, we didn't want to just make it a bit longer in your worship guide or challenge the scripture reader to do a little bit extra effort. It is important to include Exodus 19, verses 1 through 9, and even the opening of Exodus 20 when it comes to the Ten Commandments because that context is important to understanding how commandments work. When God gives commands to his people, it's not how we may often think of it, just a set of rules to burden us down. 
God's commands are not designed to be burdensome things to just weigh on you to give you more weight to navigate life. Rather, God's commands are part of his work of redemption. And so in Exodus 19, and in the buildup to those Ten Commandments, God is making this known himself. He is saying, as he prepares Moses to receive these things, in verse 4 of chapter 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God always roots his commands in what he is already doing in light of the promises that he has given. Let me say that one more time. God always roots his commands in light of the promises that he has already given. And so by the time the Ten Commandments show up, this is their first instance in our English Bibles in, chapter, in Exodus chapter 20. We have already seen God's promises to Abram and then Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 20 and further. We have seen God deliver his people by the power of his hand in redemption. And so, as Michael Williams puts it in his book, Far As the Curse is Found, God did not send Moses to Israel with a new method of forging relationships or just a new set of rules, but rather one that uh, it's, he says is precisely the other way around because God has redeemed Israel and made them his own. They must now walk in his ways. And so, this becomes important to us when we answer that question of how we today respond to those Ten Commandments because there's a couple of ways that we tend to respond. One uh, is to just ignore them, uh, to just set them aside. Uh, I thought, kids, about opening with a little bit of a quiz to see whether you or your parents could get more of the Ten Commandments right. So if you flipped over or went to an empty space on your worship guide, you started writing out the Ten Commandments, who would get more, kids, you or your parents? Or would you get any? And it's, it's uh, part of the struggle when it comes to these Old Testament commands is we don't know how to take them or what to do with them, and so it may just be easier to set them aside. And so one way we can respond is to ignore them. Another way is that we uh, can uh, change them, adapt them, make them fit what we want. We can uh, come to them and selectively pick out the commands that make sense to us uh, and shape or shift the ones that don't. But what we can't do in the context of the commands is divorce them or rip them out from what God is doing. Part of the key for understanding the context is that these things all fit together. And so if we want to know God's grace to us and his love to us, part of understanding his character and what he asks of his people, it comes with it. It's all one package. You can't just uh, take it apart. And because this is God-given and comes in the context of a covenant, you can't just rewrite the agreement. 
Uh, this happens all of the time where, uh, where you find things in life that you don't like, and so you go back to the negotiating table and you hope to change it or reconfigure it or figure out ways to uh, get out of it. But when it comes to God's covenant promises, what he asks for his people is that with his commands that we understand their context. They're not to be ignored. They're not to be reshaped or renegotiated, but they are to be taken and considered in light of what he's doing in redemption. That's the context of his commands. Then we can look at the contour of his commands. So uh, going through the Ten Commandments, it's pretty common to think of the first four commandments as uh, orienting people to how they worship God, and then the last six commandments for how they relate to one another, how people are to love and interact and behave toward one another. Um, and, uh, and there can be a number of ways to go through it, a number of ways to chop it up. But I tend to think of it as um, God, rest, family, and neighbors. Um, so that's just my own personal categorization. The first three commandments are how we are to worship God, what he requires of us, that we worship him and him alone, that we don't make idols or craft things in our life that are ultimate or equal to him, that we don't take his name in vain, that we don't speak carelessly uh, about who God is. Then there's a command to rest, that we follow God's creational example that in our lives we actually rest. That even though our to-do lists are long, even though we often feel like we're behind, even though we feel pressed in on to keep up with the other people around, God commands us to rest, to actually rest, to recognize that there's more to this life than our work, and there's more to life than our status or our bank accounts, but that there is God and in what he's designed us to do in worship. And so one day each week we rest as a sign to ourselves and to everyone else that we don't have to keep up in order to win God's approval. So there's how we worship God, there's rest, there's family. So this hinge commandment, uh, the fifth commandment, has to do with how children relate to their father and mother, that they're to honor them. And there's actually some, it, that's one of the longer commands. Then there's how we engage with neighbors. Uh, so how we are to treat and love those around us, all who are around us, whether it comes to telling the truth, whether it comes to faithfully caring for them, whether it comes to sexual ethics, all of this is a part of how we treat others. So God, rest, family, neighbors. And what can often happen in communities is different commands get different emphases, right? So we feel like we're doing pretty good with the God commands, and we may even feel like we're doing pretty good with the family, but we don't rest and we don't treat our neighbors well. Or you could kind of flip that, right? You could treat your neighbors really, really well, but all the, exclusiv all the exclusivity of the God stuff, it, it kind of feels like it pushes in. You'd rather just focus on loving your neighbors really well. You don't know about all that God stuff. And uh, it, this goes to that response where it begins to pick and choose or shift how you want these things to go. But the way that the contour of the commands are given, God, rest, family, neighbors, is a lot like this four-legged stand. 
if you just saw one of the legs off, uh, the communion stuff may stay, but it's going to be pretty hard. The balance is lost, and, uh, and it's not the way that it's designed to be. That is the way that the commandments of God work together in that covenant context. The contour of them is designed to bring about balance for us. The contour of them is to help us in a full-orbed way to grow up in God's covenant as mature people of God or Christians. And so if we set aside how we love our neighbors and we say, no, but I'm doing the God part really, really well, we have sawed off the neighbor part of God's commands. Or if we focus on our neighbors really well, but we cut off the rest or the God part, then uh, we get unbalanced that direction. They're designed to stick together. Well, if we think of it in those ways, who perfectly has all four of the legs of God's commands on the floor all of the time? That's where it gets kind of hard, right? Which one of us, or what church, or what neighborhood, or what community uh, worships God faithfully 100% of the time, all of the time, and rests appropriately following God's creational example 100% of the time, and honors their family, parents to children, children to parents, uh, all together as a family unit, 100% of the time. And, and this is probably the trickiest one, loves our neighbors, even people who aren't like us, even people who don't share our same values, but loves our neighbors faithfully 100% of the time. Who could possibly do that? I don't do that. Every week as a community, Mosaic confesses, we don't do that. We can't live up to this. Thanks be to God that those commands and the requirement to meet them come in that covenantal context. This is where that word covenant, while it may be new to you, becomes really important. Because how the covenant works is because it's God initiated and because it's God promised and because God says, I am going to make good on my work, when it comes to our own failures to keep God's commands, God himself steps in with compassion. God says, I see your stool. You can hide your stool under a huge tablecloth. You can put your stool in the back room, but I see your stool, and I know how uneven and broken it is, and I love you and have compassion towards you and will step in to make things level. That is what Jesus has come to do. So when Jesus shows up, people ask him, oh, Jesus, so now we can get rid of those commandments? And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to make good on the law. I have come so that not one dot of each I or T is not crossed. I will complete it all. And so when it comes to our own shortcomings, what are we to do when we hear the Ten Commandments? Not run. And not renegotiate in order to make our lives fit it, but turn and receive the love, grace, 
mercy, and compassion of a covenantal God who's entered in to take the judgment we owed for our instability in our own moral and spiritual lives and to take that on himself and to show us the care and compassion to level things out in our own spiritual tables, so to speak. So that when we arrive at the commandments, we can see them not as a way to access God. The commands aren't a set of things we do where we can level out our own table in order to get access to God. Rather, in the covenantal context, the commands are the things that we can't do, but that God himself does for us. And so when we think of the commands now, this side of receiving God's grace and his compassion, we recognize our inability and sometimes even our foolishness when it comes to trying to do this, but we commit ourselves to living like Jesus. We commit ourselves to follow Jesus' sacrificial example of loving us and showing us compassion, and that's how we engage as a community. We let the word out. We let the good news be known. We can set aside the pressures that we have to always appear individually or as a community that we have all four legs perfectly setting on the floor in balance. We can allow people to see, no, no, we mess up. No, we don't have it all together. But God loves us in Jesus despite that reality. And he invites us to now look at those commands as not access, but as a way to grow up, a way to mature, a way to become more like Jesus and follow the example that he sets for us. Loving God faithfully and loving one another fully. That's what it looks like for Christians to know God's covenantal promises and to take serious his commands. Let me pray that we'll do that well together. God, I ask that you will watch over us. And that when it comes to your commandments, uh, we won't be afraid of them because of what you've done, Jesus. We won't try to renegotiate them as if uh, we've got the skills and tools and talents to do that because of you, Jesus. And that we will work to faithfully love you and our neighbors because of you, Jesus, and the example that you have given us in your love, in your grace, in your mercy. Amen. Let's stand together and respond in song.